32 counties. 32 questions. My name is Una. My name is Andrea. And this is United, United Ireland. <laughs> Nearly got it there. Um, go for it, Andrea. Well, we usually take a county, dive into an issue relevant to that county, and then see where in the world it brings us. But for the foreseeable future, we're focusing on the issues the COVID-19 pandemic is raising. That's right. This week, we're looking at the human rights and civil liberties issues surrounding a glowing, a glowing, a growing global lockdown. Glowing with all the candles we're lighting. Correct. Um, Uh, Now, we've got a bunch of new followers on Patreon, which we are very grateful for. Um, But also what happens sometimes at the end of the month or the start of another month is that people's cards can expire and stuff and a couple of people can drop off. So if you are a supporter or if you're listening to this and you are usually a supporter uh, on Patreon, but maybe you're not sure if your payment's still going through, please check. Thank you. I might close that. Closed. That was just a ping to say, new patron. Oh no, but what else What else do you want to say about Patreon, Andrea? Uh, I would like to say that it is a joy to have such lovely patrons that we do. And as I'm sitting in my quarantine packing the rewards. I know we've only spoken about it for three years, actually, when I look at the, some of the uh, messages to people getting their addresses, they're like a year old. We are the worst, but they are in motion. But it's every time you see a little name, you're like, oh, thank you so much. It, It really is an emotional uplift to see the support from people. So thank you so much. So I um, haven't supported us yet. Imagine if I had that lovely feeling about your name. Yeah. Give Andrea a lovely feeling about your name. <laughs> <laughs> How are you feeling this week, Andrea? Um, I suppose most prominently I'm feeling hungover. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I suppose you're asking me more an emotional level. Um, and it's oh, the hangover shit is so annoying because I am not an alone drinker. I only drink when I'm socializing with people. So it's a really weird situation to be drinking at home. And even though you have the connection of people on whatever, Zoom or FaceTime or whatever, it's just not the same. And I really, I'm really feeling that the lack of social engagements in real life Um, to the point where I went to get my groceries and stood outside Le Guillotin the other day just to pretend I was there having a drink and like <laughs> get a grip, Andrea. So uh, otherwise I am feeling, I am feeling a little bit that I'm knuckling down, getting on with it. Like I feel like I'm one of those keep calm and carry on posters, but in the sense that I'm knuckling down, I don't want to know anything else about Corona until it's over which is very responsible as a podcaster, but we were discussing this. I just, I just don't want to know. Is that, is that terrible? Well, I think avoidance is a common response to crisis. Um, And I totally understand what you're saying, because I think like a lot of people, I've um, cut down my news consumption in a way. um, And we spoke about this at the, at the, at the kind of when we started doing our COVID-19 coverage that, you know, it is actually a good idea to not be consuming news all the time. Um, So I think in order to just get through the day and maintain your mental health, uh, it's a good idea to not be consuming stuff constantly. 
but at the same time we have to process what's going on so yeah i feel you on, on trying to step out of the corona zone um but i guess i'm a bit you know you know meet the emotions and go through them and all that kind of stuff uh kind of a person um but we'll see who's um you know <laughs> more balanced who's, who's more balanced at the end of this um competition let's talk, on <laughs> let's talk about the state of the nation um every week we start this uh, our coverage with the state of the nation um summary uh a load of stuff has been happening obviously um tony holohan uh, was admitted to hospital after feeling unwell during a press conference and I believe is out again. So we're wishing him well. He's really uh, become a- the Ireland's sweetheart, hasn't he? There's a lot of love for him. There is. I think it's an extraordinarily stressful um, job to be having at the time and he does seem to be kind of remaining calm through it. Obviously, there's lots of conversations about the lack of PPE um, and testing capacity I saw a doctor in the US talking about how the expectations and the numbers uh, being floated in media about testing capacity in the US, you know, just isn't being met on the ground. So I think that there is a disconnect between the initial plans and uh, what capacity could be and then the realities on the ground with regard to lack of testing kits and all that kind of stuff. So. Yeah, it's a tough gig, no doubt, at the moment. What else is happening? Well, in China, the divorce rates have spiked as couple emerge from quarantine. And after the hard quarantine, the rates have gone through the roof, basically. So there's a lot of relationships being tested right now, shall we say? Uh, what's going on with this photo from uh, Leo Varadkar's office? <laughs> Um, so when he was talking about his chats with China, um, a lot of people kind of disregarded the content of what he was saying, maybe perhaps, and focused in on a little piece of ceramic on his table, which was a mug that had uh, one of the Mr. Men on it as Mr. Taoiseach. <laughs> it's just so cute. Like this mug. This mug has been around the block. I feel. I think that mug was was has been out in the open before. We saw the mug. We when saw we were the, in the mug. Office. Yeah, IRL. But I just love the actual online love for the lo- for the mug, and people just being like, "Of course, he has a Mister Taoiseach mug." Guess. Uh, also, the Irish Nurses and Midwives Organisation have asked Paddy Cosgrave to apologise for his tweet regarding the four nurses he said had died due to COVID-19. Lots of very confusing um, shenanigans going on over on that Twitter, but we will move on swiftly from that to a much nicer thing, which is like, we all know I'm not the most emotional person. But the message that was sent from ground control to the pilots as they were setting off to Beijing to get the PPE was one, like, I don't know what it was, but I just heard it and start bawling, crying. It was like, I feel like it was one of those things that really just summed up this the solidarity that we're feeling in Ireland at the moment. And that it was just like, look, you've got this, go and get it, bring it home. It was like, oh my God, very moved by it. Were you moved? Did you hear it? Were you moved? Yeah, I was moved. Um, I think there's lots of people doing frontline work that is not just medical. And um, listen to, yeah, I was moved. Am I? My emotions are dead. Um, I'm feeling quite numbed this week. Of kind of come, come like you're kind of. I wish I was feeling more in a little way. Oh, I didn't even ask you how you were feeling. I'm really, yeah. Andrea. That's okay. Um, so yeah, no, it was very moving, and um, well done to everybody working in that. Uh, 
part of the response to the crisis. Um, tell me more about what, what you're feeling about masks at the moment. So masks are really coming to the fore because obviously at the start we were told to avoid wearing masks unless you tested positive for COVID. Um, and obviously, not obviously, but there is speculation that that was done because there was going to be a shortage for people on the front line and that doctors and nurses needed them and that that would drive people to buying them all up. But now what's happening is there's been a lot of studies that have proven that wearing the masks really does help flatten the curve and that the particles that you that will go the two meters can go further um, if they're smaller particles. So that has encouraged a lot of people to start DIYing their masks. And there's a few designers who are getting on board who are starting to make their own masks that will be available. So I suppose if you're going to have to wear a mask, you might as well make a fashion. Um, one of my friends got a set of black masks. Um, but there, yeah, it is something that we should all make, start to consider. And whenever we do go out to wear a mask, so get your mask on. Well- there's a really good YouTube tutorial about making masks in a really simple way from kitchen towel and tissue. So we'll share that on our Twitter. Um, as you're listening to this show, you can be making your masks. Um, one of the things that is emerging uh, from this is is how uh, difficult it is for media outlets at the moment. Advertising has obviously fallen off a cliff um, and, the, and considering a lot of media outlets, you know, really, I suppose, exist financially month to month, you know, or a few months to few months. Um, and advertising is the uh, basis of a lot of uh, outlets uh, revenue. Um, this is having a really, really detrimental impact. You know, people are asking uh, the public to buy a newspaper if they can, subscribe to a newspaper delivery service or subscribe to an online media outlet. Uh, Communicore have cut their salaries um up to 25%, even though the company is owned by a billionaire. And uh, the journal, um, you know, really uh, difficult for the guys over there at the moment. The business site, Fora, which is excellent, um, has effectively been shut. They are making uh, sports writers for the 42 part-time, and they're also cutting pay at the journal themselves. So we're just sending solidarity out to all of the journalists um, and people working in media outlets right now. It's a very difficult time. Um, People are really working an awful lot and uh, the, the revenue outlooks are very worrying. And also a very important time for a good news structure and media landscape to get yeah. good, honest news, I suppose. And uh, finally, orangutans. <laughs> obviously. Sandra the orangutan um, has started, I don't know who Sandra is, but if you Google Sandra the orangutan, you'll see this video. But she has started washing her hands all the time in the in the proper medical way after observing her caretakers doing it. And it's just so humbling and nice. And I don't know why it's so nice, but it's just lovely. So have a look at it. And it just shows you how important it is to, and how easy it is to wash your hands properly. Very interestingly, um, you know, this motor mimicry that a lot of primates do uh, with humans um, in the 90s when there were uh, these Italian scientists working on uh, a part of the brain where there's mirror neurons, which basically are the foundation of um, motor mimicry and also they think the foundation of empathic uh, responses in humans. Those mirror neurons were discovered uh, when in a lab, they were kind of doing these tests on macaques. And one of the kind of lab workers came back to the lab and picked something up and saw the monkey 
do the same thing and they were able to actually realize that that kind of motor mimicry and the basis of uh, the neurological basis of empathy uh, was founded because of that. So it's no surprise uh, that an orangutan is also now mimicking um, its uh, But also apparently this very same thing is happening uh, in the opposite way with babies responding to parents who have Botox. Their empathy, they're finding it harder to have the empathy embraced because there's no movement in their face. Wow, that is mental. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so now it's time for our new weekly feature, which we've been running with the past couple of weeks, the Corona Correction. These are all the weird knock-on effects that COVID-19 is having. Um, this week's Corona Correction, there is an emphasis being put more and more on shopping local as people realise the the uh, importance of, of maintaining local businesses at this time. If you go to shoplocalonline.ie, and there are a list of kind of local Irish uh, stores and producers and stuff like that there, and it's a really good resource Another I'm also chronic- finding the two kilometer restriction very, I know it's, it doesn't feel trapping. It feels nice to have to resort to relying on shops that are within my community and locale. Yeah, I guess it depends where you're, where you're living though. I suppose in an urban setting, that's quite easy. But if you're um, not in an urban setting, that c- could be quite constraining. A hundred percent. That's your Dublin lens on everything, Andrea. <laughs> Dublin media elite. Um, one one good thing is uh, book sales are surging, and the UK sales of fiction have risen by a third, and children's education books have gone up two hundred and thirty four percent. Yowza! Um, uh, one thing that has not gone up is the impact that uh, the COVID nineteen crisis is having on gambling, because obviously there's very little sport on and very few things to bet on. Um, the Belarusian Premier League, which apparently is still playing, has become the most watched uh, competition in European football. Everyone is very excited about FC Schlutzgacker versus Slavia Mazur. Um, so you might put a little bet on that. Uh, nature, obviously having a, a moment as well. We've been talking about this over the last few weeks. Um in England, moles are emerging overground to look for worms instead of staying underground. And oyster catcher birds are nesting on vacant beaches in Norfolk. Lovely. In Ber- yeah, that's nice. In Bergamo, I saw this really amazing video of wild hogs and their little hoglets tottering around a village, um, which kind of shows how fewer humans on streets, more comfortable animals are pottering about. Same goes for that amazing uh, series of videos of a herd of goats taking over Landudno in Wales. People are talking about how foxes in Dublin are becoming much more common in daylight. Coyotes venturing out onto the streets in San Francisco because there's so few cars. cars. And a little grimmer, this one, New Orleans pest control companies are taking the opportunity to control the rat population in the city as hungry rats with no human food waste to eat are easier to lure with bait in traps. Kind of sad. Kind of sad. Like rats so are just if, pigeons that don't fly. Yes, exactly that. But smarter, I believe. Very smart little rats. So we're talking about um, the lockdown versus civil liberties and human rights on this episode. Um, it's a conversation that's ongoing, you know, from the immediate uh, restriction on our movement and stuff like that. But loads of different countries are having different kinds of issues regulations, rules, laws, fines, and um, political impacts, depending on the context. Um, Tell us more about that, Andre. Well, 
there's about 3 billion people under lockdown measures across the globe and loads of individual freedoms are being curtailed in the name of public health and containing the pandemic, which makes total sense. And we all agree that that's, we're all, we're all in agreement. We're doing it. Um, but freedom of assembly, freedom of movement, um, and harsh penalties and fines for people breaking new pandemic rules across the world are becoming very normalized. Um, and if you, now, if you live in a free democracy where police aren't corrupt and so on, uh, this kind of stuff can be logical and functional in the short term. But you have to wonder about the open-ended nature of loads of these measures and what's happening in places where you have evil leaders, evil is probably a bit of a push, um, illiberal leaders um, who have already in the past been infringing upon civil liberties. So, so we're, we're going to... Oh. Oh, oh, oh I am. This is the problem not being able to see each other. We are go- we are going to discuss these issues in an Irish context, and also in the context of our European neighbour Hungary, who you may um, have been hearing who, uh, which you may have been hearing an awful lot about with regards to new measures there. But first up, Andrea, um, you're going to be talking about Irish civil liberties and COVID nineteen. So today we're talking about human rights and civil liberties if issues surrounding a growing lo- global lockdown. And to look at how this is impacting us in Ireland, we're joined by Liam Herrick, who is the Executive Director of the Irish Council for Civil Liberties. Thanks a million for joining us today, Liam. Great to talk to you, Andrea. Um, I'm just first, before we get into it, would you mind explaining to people who may not know what the ICCL is and what you do? So the Irish Council for Civil Liberties was set up in 1976 by Cader Asmal, Mary Robinson, Donald Barrington, a group of other lawyers and academics uh, concerned with civil liberties in Ireland. Um, we're an independent, non-governmental organisation, so we don't take any money from the government. And we've been campaigning for almost 50 years now on a wide range of human rights issues, particularly to do with fair trial in the criminal justice system, equality, privacy and free speech and I suppose we'd be most well known for playing a leading role in things like the divorce referendums and abortion referendums in the 80s, decriminalisation of homosexuality, uh, guard accountability and again censorship. Um, so th- that's basically who we are. Um, we're a small, independent, non-governmental organisation. Um, now we're currently in the week that's seen an unprecedented, how much have we used unprecedented in the last few weeks, shutdown of society by the government. And even though Leo Varadkar was very pointed in noting that we've always been a country that polices by consent rather than coercion, um, we are now are in a situation where we no longer have the right to gather. We have to stay at home. Police numbers have been ramped up and given increased rights to detention. So it's understandable that there's like a question hanging over the erasure of our freedom and human rights. Is this something we should be worried about? It's something we should be very vigilant about. Um, what, what's happened over what is a short period of time when so much has changed is quite remarkable. Um, we have had legislation introduced which gives the government the right to ban public meetings, um, to restrict movement in and within and out and within the country. It can confine people to their homes and it can detain people uh, for public health reasons if they are infectious. 
Um, so these are powers that would usually be associated with a time of war. Um, the government has not introduced a state of emergency. Uh, what it's done instead is passed ordinary legislation to create these powers. Now, from a human rights point of view, you can restrict rights. You can restrict all of these civil liberties and human rights um, if there is a legal basis, if there's a clear necessity, and if the measures that you're introducing are proportionate. Um, so what we've got in a, in a really condensed and short space of time is a consideration of all of these questions. Of course, the starting point is that there is a need. I mean, we all, we all know that something very significant has happened here and there's a really substantial threat to public health. And the government has taken a view that it needs to have extraordinary powers to deal with it. But once you start getting into that conversation about how you frame those powers, how you have proper safeguards and that, then th th there's very complex questions about safeguards, limitations, accountability. And that's, I suppose, what the Irish Council for Civil Liberties in particular has been centrally engaged in, in trying to evaluate what the government is doing and try to make sure that what happens now doesn't constitute a really significant erosion of our rights beyond a very short period of time. And there was um, a discussion about a sunset clause that was uh, fought for by yourselves and was introduced. Could you just explain what that means? So the government um, introduced legislation in the Oireachtas on the 19th and 20th of the month um, and it called the Health Preservation and Protection and Other Emergency Measures in the Public Interest Bill, uh, a ridiculously long and cumbersome title for a piece of legislation. Um, this was the bill which gave the government the power to make regulations on restriction of movement and created a power to detain people. And what it said in this legislation is that it was intended that it would only be used for the period of the emergency. But in its first version, the government gave itself the power to extend the emergency as it saw fit beyond that. And that sets off a huge alarm bell. Um, now, we are living in a liberal democracy where, generally speaking, I think the public accepts the good intentions of the government here and that they're not trying to close down democracy, as is certainly happening in some other countries. But even still, you need to make sure with extreme powers like this that there's checks on it. So what we call for is that rather than government being able to control how long the emergency lasts, that it should be the Oireachtas, that if they want an extension, they have to go back to the Oireachtas, and that the emergency should be a fixed period. And, and ultimately what came out of all of this is that the Oireachtas uh, decided that the period of the emergency should be fixed at a seven-month period up to the start of November and that any extension beyond that should have to go back to the Doyle and the Shannon. So that's where we are, are at the moment. We are in effectively in a quasi-state of emergency in the country until November. Um, 
with regard particularly to the power to detain people. So that power is there now. A medical officer can detain somebody who's a risk to public health. Um, in relation to the other powers about restricting movement and restricting public events, the legislation itself doesn't actually really achieve very much. It gives the power to the Minister for Health to introduce regulations that will affect the restrictions. And we actually haven't seen those regulations yet. They're due to come out this week. You mentioned there about the ability of a doctor to order the detention of a client or a patient. If they, but that was, uh, there was talk of if they believed it was in good faith that the person may spread COVID-19. Um, and ICCL came back with the fact that a good faith belief is not a high enough threshold to detain an individual. Has that been clarified? No, it, it hasn't. I, I think the threshold here, you know, powers of detention are fairly rare. Um, obviously, you know, imprisonment, the police have certain powers uh, and in the psychiatric context. What the law here says is that a medical officer might make a determination that it's appropriate to detain somebody. And and we suggest it be better that they should only really detain somebody if absolutely necessary, if no other way was possible of preventing the spread of disease. Now, as with all the other powers, we all hope that there won't be a necessity to resort to this. Um, we haven't had detention of people for medical reasons in living memory in Ireland, you know, going right back to the 40s and 50s with tuberculosis and polio. So it, it, the great hope here is that there won't be any re- need to, to resort to this. But it, the power is on the statute book now. OK. Um, and it was also noted uh, by yourself that Ireland has a history of extending emergency measures beyond emergency times like the Special Criminal Court and Offences Against the State Act um, that were both formed as a response to the troubles but are still in place today. So does that sunset le- uh, legislation take that into account or what other steps have been taken to ensure there's no permanent erosion of rights or that future governments can't abuse emergency legislation? Is it the sunset clause and the Oireachtas? Yeah, I mean, th- this is the key issue for us is that Whatever, however long this emergency lasts, that it is a fixed duration and that it ends and the powers are lifted and we go back to normal. Um, it's not just Ireland. All around the world, there is a pattern that measures that I can introduce in an emergency that reasons are found to keep them afterwards. So the clear example in Ireland is provisions introduced under the Offences Against the State Act in the 1970s to deal with the conflict in Northern Ireland and the particular threat posed by the IRA, that even after the end of the conflict, that those powers were not only retained, but were in fact expanded things like the Special Criminal Court, for example. And the danger here really is that when the immediate crisis passes, that somebody in government or or a future government might make the case that, okay, well, look, we don't need to use the powers now, but let's keep the powers in case we might need to use them in the future. As in, the threat from COVID is is reduced, but who knows, there might be another virus next year. And that's the danger here. So I think what's in the legislation does provide some comfort, but we're going to need to push really hard. As soon as the danger uh, evaporates here, we need to be pushing very quickly to get powers removed. And 
the Labour Party had actually said that the minister should have a power to actually lift the emergency even before November. I think that would have been good, but but it ultimately wasn't accepted. So so we are now in a very sensitive period, I would say, between now and November, and we need to monitor very carefully every single use of these powers. Donald Tusk commented about Hungary that the uh, Prime Minister Viktor Orban was exploiting the pandemic to create a state ruled under a permanent exception is morally unacceptable. Is there any way we could go the way of Hungary and what's happening over there, which is quite terrifying? And the political situation is very different. Um, it's not just Hungary. Uh, we, we've been in contact with the UN, uh, the Office of the High Commissioner for Human Rights, Special Rapporteur on Emergency and Human Rights and um there's countries all over the world where you're seeing excessive powers being introduced, uh, the opportunity of this crisis being taken to, to erode basic protections. Um, so there are examples that we want to avoid. What's crucial here, I think, in Ireland is that we actually have a very positive opportunity to do something well here. What's happened so far is that even though the government has felt the need to Use, introduce powers, the emphasis has been on consent. So the guards operation up to now, there's been no regulations on that. What the guards have been doing is going out, offering advice and guidance to people, asking people to comply, and people generally are getting behind that. Um, so up to this point, we're not seeing conflict. What we're actually seeing is solidarity. You know, we're, we're seeing a really positive expression of looking after each other, trying to ensure that all the groups that are most affected by this, like people in direct provision, older people, um, people in prisons, that they are cared for. And I think that we're actually doing fairly well. Um, but that, that could change. I mean, that, that balance of retaining public confidence and trust, um, you know, making sure that the public are not suspicious of the government, that, that everybody is being transparent and honest with the public about what's happening. That's a delicate balance. And if we move to having regulations in place and having powers of enforcement, the challenge is going to become greater. So we've been in contact with the guards, with the policing authority and others to just encourage them to be as transparent as possible about all of this and try to assage any concerns the public might have so we can all be in this together. Uh, yeah, you've really felt the solidarity between in Ireland and it, it's, you've, I've been thankful so much to be in Ireland around this time when this is happening because of the way we do react as a society and hoping that if this goes on longer, as we've kind of seen in a lot of countries, it's been reported that people are getting frustrated with the lockdown and, and the Italians are no longer singing on their balconies. They're kind of getting onto the streets and getting a bit frustrated on the street. Is that something that will have to be looked at, I suppose? Yeah, like absolutely. I mean, a lot of this is about communications, you know, and um, what, what's been really interesting is across the political spectrum in Ireland, a lot of people in the community that are, are, are no big fans of, of this government or the outgoing government, um, people from the left uh, coming together and saying, this isn't about uh, the politics of the government this is about the state, this is about the community, it's about coming behind uh, the HSE and the public health people at this stage. And I think that's really positive. And I think what's exciting about it, you know, we have a long way to go yet, is that it also means that when the government introduces measures about 
bans on evictions and uh, addressing homelessness and releasing people from direct provision, you know, we won't put that genie back in the box afterwards. People people like these measures, you know, making sure that nobody is left out, nobody's homeless at the moment. Uh, and I think there'll be a strong case for actually retaining a lot of these supports uh, beyond the end of this crisis. Um, and we'd hoped that that would happen. And I think that you can already feel the public sentiment for that wanting to continue on and the even the one tier health system of people being treated when they're most in need, regardless of if they can afford it and all those kind of things are definitely being highlighted. Um, is there any other issues, uh, rights-based issues that have arisen or been highlighted as a result of this? I mean, we've got the primary issues, which are, you know, restriction on movement, restriction on events. Um, but of course, there's all of these other kind of secondary issues that are coming up now that, you know, the government couldn't have thought about beforehand. It's kind of the unintended consequences. So we're seeing, you know, the rise in domestic violence being a a threat here. We're seeing people um, who are in, you know, complex families where questions about access to children is complicated now. Um, We're seeing where people with disabilities are having trouble uh, with advocacy services. Um, So, there's all of these issues that need to be approached in a sensitive way. And I think one of the key measures is that even though we're talking about powers and rules in the government, there's discretion and common sense built into them. So, you know, there are restrictions on movement. There's a list of reasonable excuses to be out and about, you know, the essential work and the exercise within two kilometres. But there's also a broader kind of reasonable category. So like if you are a separated person who has agreed with your partner about access to children without a court order, well, the guards should approach that in a reasonable fashion. You know, if you're a disabled person and you need to speak to somebody, but you don't have a legal right to do so, the guard should approach that in a reasonable way. And I I think that, that reasonableness and discretion is going to be crucial, that, that everybody behaves in a flexible and tolerant way towards each other. And I I think we're going to have a lot of complicated issues out of this, but if common sense prevails, I I think we could see a really good um, sense of solidarity and and, and common purpose. Mm. Um, And lastly, just before I let you go, is disinformation providing um, a bit of an issue at all? It is. I mean, there is definitely a bit of disinformation. But what we're seeing here is that the government and the public authorities are trying to combat disinformation by putting out good quality information and sharing it. And they're really emphasizing the role of journalists as essential workers in combating it. And I think we're doing well. Um, you know, disinformation and fake news is a pretty dangerous concept. And when we look at Hungary at the moment, it's really interesting the things that they are using as they slide towards dictatorship, one of which is a five-year prison sentence for people accused of disinformation. And their sense of disinformation is people who disagree with the government. So I, I think we're capable of dealing with misinformation and disinformation by actually just supporting 
between the media and quality journalism, podcasts, online platforms. I, I think we can manage it that way without resorting to punishment, which I think has a lot of dangers inherent in it. Liam, thank you and to everyone in ICCL for all you do. It's a wonderful uh, organisation. And if anyone would like to support uh, the the ICCL, you can on their website. Um, thank you very much. Thanks, Andrea. So you may have heard or read in recent days new measures introduced in Hungary by their Prime Minister, Viktor Orban, during the pandemic. Orban has come under huge criticism in recent years for seemingly moving the political dial in Hungary increasingly towards authoritarianism. The pandemic is perhaps providing a further opportunity for him to tighten his rule indefinitely. In order to understand what's going on, I spoke to Sander Lederer, who's a top anti-corruption activist in Hungary. He's the co-founder and director of K-Monitor, a public funds watchdog in Budapest. There's a teeny skip at the start of this recording after I asked the first question. Sorry, uh, where Sander is talking about K-Monitor, where he's basically just saying he's the founder. But you're literally just missing a second of our conversations. Don't worry about that. The joys of recording remotely. So, Sander, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and your work? of K-Monitor, which is an anti-corruption NGO in Hungary. It was founded in 2007, so quite some time ago. Um, and we do different things around uh, anti-corruption work. We do advocacy, support local governments uh, with knowledge how they can work against corruption, be more transparent. Uh, we build online tools, um, like an algorithmic tool to um, detect risky public procurements. And we also do research um, in this regard. We also support um, participatory budgeting efforts in communities. So many, many things around transparency and, um, and accountability in Hungary. Right. There's been so much news, I suppose, globally over the past couple of weeks and within uh, the pandemic crisis, um, some stories are getting lost. Things that would have been massive European stories, for example, um, are going a little bit more under the radar. Um, And in recent days, we've been hearing about uh, new laws passed by uh, Viktor Orban in, in your country that are very worrying in terms of democracy. But before we talk about those um, new events, uh, I was wondering if you could give us a little bit of perspective on Orban and uh, when he came to power and what his political background is and how his position in power has progressed over the past few years. Okay, yeah, that's very important because you... You, it would be very hard to understand these new measures without the context of uh, understanding Orban as a person and uh, and and the last ten years of uh, government in Hungary. So Orban is a is um, is a politician since his youth. He was an anti-communist uh, politician, a founder of an anti-communist youth organization, a liberal youth organization at the end of the 80s. Um, a very popular young guy back then and um, and a liberal. That's, that's uh, something important to see. And with time, he changed his mind and became more and more conservative. And now you would even say he's like a national hardliner. Um, he was on power at the end of the 90s 
for four years, but was not reelected again. Um, so he and he was the youngest prime minister of the country. He he became prime minister with thirty seven or eight, as far as I remember. Um, and um, and after losing power, he and then that's you know one of the specialties of these guys. He's a really really talented politician and a strategic thinker. So he was working really hard to get back to power and do it in in a very strategic way. And you can also see if you look later. So he managed to get back to power in 2010, um, ten years ago. Um, and he used this opportunity to completely reshape the constitutional, the legal, the economic, whatever system of the country um, and building up um, a system which would allow him to remain in one way or the other on power in Hungary forever in some regard. Um, so when we look on these last 10 years, it was about uh, um, establishment and increase of power of Orban. Um, it started, of course, with legal measures like, you know, giving a new constitution to the country, limiting the rights of the constitutional court, um, not allowing, as an example, citizens to directly turn to the constitutional court anymore, um, filling up the constitutional court with loyal people, just you know, one example. Uh, also, this is something he started to work on even earlier to build up an all media ecosystem, having all newspapers, TV stations. So when he got on power, he turned the public um, news stations also into into a propaganda um, media and has uh, control over over uh, 400 media outlets in the country through his you know crony system at at, at that. Uh, point or now, um, but he also changed the election system in a way that with, let's say, 50% of the, or a bit less than 50% of the votes at uh, national elections, he could have a two-third majority in the parliament. Um, and uh, and also he filled up all kinds of oversight institutions of the country with people who are loyal to him, like uh, the state audit office, the election committee, the competition authority, and of course the prosecution system, which is uh, a, a crucial thing because one driver of this system um, is corruption. Um, and these guys, uh, the Orban and, and his clientele, have been active in um, in in, in uh, misusing public funds and channeling public funds into private pockets, mainly into pockets of you know um, their clientele, um, with a clear purpose. And this is you know when I mentioned that you know he wants to um, keep power forever, meaning that even in case he would lose political power at elections he would have such a strong economic um, network and the backbone that these um, oligarchs and these companies that are in his network could enable him to influence politics even without a democratic uh, mandate or even without the mandate of the uh, electorate. That's very important to see. So corruption is a basic um, um, mean of this system or a basic tool of this system to survive and um, and, 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 and be 
um, active even if let's say they wouldn't be um, re-elected so this is why you know we deal a lot with this um, uh, with the urban system because our topic corruption is an essential part of of, of how it works and just to really make it tangible and, and understand um, how it works um, it goes to public procurements so road constructions the constructions of all kinds of buildings issued or commissioned by the state are done by by these crony companies um, concessions are given to, um, to to friendly people uh, to loyal people of the company, there is tailored legislation made um, that only um, that benefit companies again close to this circle, um, and um, and and um, let's say the the son-in-law of the prime minister, who is a very very young guy, he became one of the richest countries or is among the top hundred richest uh, people of the country, um, a good friend of his. Uh, who is from the same village as the Prime Minister Orban, um, became the richest person of the country in just a couple of years. He was a gas fitter previously. Um, and the daughter of the Prime Minister is, let's say, the informal leader of all kinds of tourism-related uh, and gastronomy-related activities. So it's really, as you would imagine, something like this shouldn't be possible or shouldn't happen in, in Europe, right? Um and um well so it's i mean that sounds quite you know yeah. qu quite extraordinary but i suppose it's also a slow creep that things can happen over time um that are very difficult to to stop once they take hold how effective has any kind of opposition to this process be it political opposition or activist opposition been over the past decade um the opposition was almost destroyed after the last election in 2010 um, it was also morally in a very very bad shape so it was a it was a it was a fav very favorable situation for Fidesz to do all these things Orban's party is Fidesz um, so this is like something that was given and since these since since this time it was very hard for the opposition to you know became stronger and because of the election system um they they had also almost never the opportunity to really influence uh what's what le legislation is made here so the opposition is weak partially because they're just you know unable to to be attractive for citizens partially also because it's a very unfair system with the captured media with the captured resource, financial resources in politics because of the election system because of the you know uh, loyal control powers that are used to um, uh, make the work of the opposition harder have investigations going on against them so it's a mix of you know a weak opposition and the powerful government that even um, um, tries to make them weak and uh, and and isolated and unpopular and fragmented as well because the opposition would need to unite to be able to you know be um, um, strong against Fidesz. They had one um, 
significant win recently at the local elections in October, where uh, the capital city Budapest got a new mayor who is from the opposition. In almost every district of the city, you have opposition people now. And also in some bigger cities of the country, you have cities led um, the cities led by opposition. And this is a danger that, that Orban probably uh, saw and is a bit afraid that, you know, this tendency could go on. We're going to have the next election in 2022. So, of course, this whole uh, period is also about the preparations for um, the next election. And Orban has to prove that these opposition guys are unable to govern. And, of course, this crisis comes politically at the right time for an authoritarian type leader uh, like Orban to show that he's the only one who can really govern this country and who can protect this country from all kinds of threats. And he has some expertise in that because when he came to power, there was you know, the, the, the effects of the financial crisis with which he had to deal. And he had, you know, one huge propaganda campaign back then that he was um, bringing down utility costs for citizens and, 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 you know, doing a very um, propagandistic social campaign that, you know, we make our, your life easier by by um, making uh, utilities cheaper, which actually was a, a big trick, but it worked to some extent. Then you had the, the migration crisis and the, and the refugees coming uh, to Europe. He that's where he became like really, in terms of uh, rhetorics, uh, a nationalist hardliner, um, being one of those European leaders who was the strictest and the most uh, uh, racist in terms of even formulation and messages towards um, refugees and, 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 and migrants and show that, you know, we're going to protect our countries from, from, from the migrants, but also from the European Union that wants to so stop us to save ourselves. And now his new chance again to save the country, as you know, he, he loves to, to, to picture it, is, this, uh, is the pandemic, is the coronavirus, where he wants to show himself as the only savior. And, you know, and, and then I think this is how this law comes in, uh, what you were talking about, that it was the, the, a great opportunity for him to even use this crisis to change legislation and even further expand his powers. So let's talk about some of the things that have happened, because obviously people like Orban, as you say, love to take advantage of a crisis like this to expand uh, their reach um, and also to curtail uh, civil liberties. What kind of um, laws or rules have been brought in uh, regarding Hungary's uh, lockdown or the situation right now with the pandemic? Or is Hungary in lockdown? Hungary, um, so the borders are closed, but you as a citizen can still freely move around. There are some limitations um, for sure, but they're definitely not as strict as, let's say, in Italy. Um, so you can freely walk around. You're not allowed to walk around in crowds or, of course, uh, many, many institutions are closed and so on. You're encouraged to stay home, strongly encouraged. There is a limitation when older people and younger people can, can go to grocery stores. So, of course, there are limitations, but I wouldn't say I would say it's not 
uh, that's not um, uh, extreme. The reason is that the government is really, really worried about an economic crisis. And of course, if there would be a strong lockdown, people wouldn't be able to go to work, the whole country would stand still, and this would have even huger impacts on the economy. So this is uh, the rationale behind it. But what comes to the, the, the general rights and I would say the rights of the government, there uh, a big change has been made by an enabling act, um, which was uh, adopted by the parliament uh, beginning of this week, which gives uh, let's say superpowers to the government, enabling the government to uh, govern through decrees without the need of a parliamentary assembly and being able to override change almost any kinds of laws except some really basic um, uh, fundamental rights of citizens. And it also changed the criminal code and, um, and, and, and made it easier to prosecute people for spreading um, um, false news, let's say, but also, and I think this is why the media is, is, uh, is really, really um, worried, because um, it, it says in the law, if someone spreads a falsehood or claim, or spreads distorted through in relation to the emergency that is suitable for arming or ag agitating large group of, of, of people, which is, you know, very, very vague formulation. And people are afraid that this is going to be used against um, the media, against journalists, against civil society. So people who cr criticize any kinds of measures or raise awareness towards problems that may come up while dealing with this crisis. And, you know, this uh, being worried about this thing is, of course, legit, because, you know, um, the whole story I told you previously about how he got to power and how he established his power, this is such an anti-democratic um, process that people, you know, there's nothing people would not be able to imagine that Orban would do. And coming back to this enabling act that allows him to override legislation, um, of course, officially it said limited to dealing with the crisis and the effects of the crisis. That's also very important. Um, but it's very hard to say something is not in relation to the crisis at these times. So there is no time frame for this law. This is, I think, what many uh, we, we are really worried about, those who have criticized this law. It says until the emergency situation is over or the parliament uh, revokes uh, the legislation. But as said, in the parliament, they have a two-third majority. So the parliament is very formal in this regard. And it's the government who decides when the crisis is over. Again, this is, in the, in, it, this is how legislation is done. So it's pure themselves, they themselves who can decide when the crisis is over. And it's very easy to say that the crisis, let's say if the pandemic itself is over, the economic crisis that is surely going to be there um, will strike the country and dealing with it will still need the government special authorities. And then we move closer and closer to the next national elections in uh, uh, 2022, where probably he prepares and wants to prepare everything in a way that he can remain in power. So, um, so this is, I think, uh, a huge, uh, a huge risk here. What are your worries for the immediate future, and how do you think 
um, a process or a movement could emerge that could reverse some of the things uh, that Orban is trying to do? I think we have a quite active civil society. Um, We have um, many, many um, journalists. We have uh, now local governments that are, you know, trying to do a different type of of, of governing, a more transparent, a more inclusive way of of governing. A good, a big question will be, let's say, whether these local governments are going to be able to do their work, to have uh, to to be funded or have the funds to to do good work, um, because of course that's gonna be um, a kind of measurement whether the opposition is is able to or can be a, a potential alternative. The other effect is you know how how deep the crisis is, is going to be, whether our very underfunded healthcare system will be able to deal with the crisis in terms of, you know, the pandemic. Um, so it's also a, a huge test for Orban whether his system um, is um, capable of dealing uh, with this crisis, not in the political but in the economic and 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 the health-related way. And if not, this is of course uh, this is. This would be, in, in in one way, extremely unfortunate because no one wants uh, a huge crisis in the country, even those not who criticize this government. Of course, it's our common interest that you know we're gonna have uh, um, no dead people here because of the crisis, and and then the spread of the virus is stopped, and we also don't have huge unemployment, inflation, and all these uh, negative effects that might come up. So this is. Out of out of the question that this is our common goal. On the other hand, if um, if if the if, if a, a huge crisis hits the country, that can be a problem for Orban because at the end um, people will blame him for not being able to deal with it. And then that's an uh, opportunity for the opposition. Of course, if it's going to be around or if its possibilities are not curbed in a way that it's unable to really act or run. Uh, for the election. But for the time being, of course, um, for those who criticize the government for its authoritarian steps, need to speak up. Um, the online media is, of course, free on social media. Um, you can you can um, spread your ideas and thoughts. So there are alternative channels compared to the government channels. But, you know, to certain parts of the society, let's say elderly people, people living in rural area, it's almost the government, only the government's voice that uh, that can be um, heard. So I would say it's a very, very interesting times of hunger for Hungary, uh, where we in some way really need national, you know, uh, a union where all kinds of people living in Hungary with their different beliefs and, and, and political mindsets can work together to, to fight this pandemic. On the other hand, uh, we also have to see that our government is clearly abusing its powers to um, to be able to remain in power for a very, very long time. And in this regard, we need to stop them if they uh, do such things and, of course, raise awareness in the country that this work is at, the, at, at, at certain measures are not about fighting the pandemic, but it's about fighting people in Hungary 
who um, think or have different views about political, religious, whatever um, um, issues than the government. Sander, thank you so much for, for informing all of our listeners about that. And we're sending you lots of uh, solidarity from Ireland and stay well and safe. Thank you. And also stay safe and healthy in Ireland. Best wishes. Andrea, what's getting in the sea this week? Getting in the sea this week, there's a few different things in the offing and it's really related to people now. By me saying this, I'm becoming one of the people I'm about to put in the sea, but look, here we are. Um, it's the kind of, um, the performative perhaps, uh, way people are taking the rules on board and trying to enforce it online as if to say, I'm doing the rules the best. Why aren't you doing the rules the same way as me? Um, and it's getting to the point of like obtuse levels. And I just feel like it's a bit like you do the rules like we're all doing the rules as best we can do your rules and handle this pandemic the way you handle it we all handle it differently and if you want to be one of those people who's inside doing loads of things and can like it can be a little bit frustrating if you're not able or in a headspace to be able to do that, to see people getting up, doing their yoga, doing their gym classes, doing their blah, blah, blah. It's like, oh my God, I'm not ready for that. So it's, I suppose it's just being wary of the different ways that people are dealing with this trauma and remembering that it is a trauma and it isn't business as usual. And to just be cognizant of other people and their ways of dealing with this shit. Is that Scabby? No, I don't think so. I think that can get in the sea. Okay. In the sea it goes. Tell me some of your fave bits, Una. Um, So my fave bits this week include the Scratch album, Couldn't Give a Rats, which I've been listening to loads. And it also has been uh, rollicking up the charts. I really like it. And there's some really good tunes on that. I especially love... The session. session song. Yeah, that's a real, really, and the session in general. Um, another of my fave bits was an interview that Noam Chomsky gave over Skype, which we will share on our channels, on our Twitter. Um, and it's just so interesting to see. I think he's like 91, 92 right now, and he's talking about um, the impact of the coronavirus on geopolitics and on, you know, how neoliberalism was the plague before the pandemic and what the possible outcomes are authoritarianism versus utopia it's really well worth a watch what are your fave bits gorge my fave bits are very in keeping with how i'm feeling i suppose right now the first one is david hockney's drawings from normandy which he's released they've never been seen before to offer some respite from news which is where very much where my head is at i'm like mm, i want to look at lovely things so david hockney is always something i want to look at so they're lovely um another thing is <laughs> this is gas um on bbc one of their programs they have loads of people reading their favorite piece of poetry and everyone's loving it and it's you know getting in touch with poetry and all that jet gorgeous jazz but BBC Sounds did their take on it and they had Nadine from Girls Aloud reading uh, biology as poetry amazing what a a jam as well oh it's a tuna chicken but uh, it's so good listening to her like say it as if it's poetry which it is it it is yeah damn straight 
Um, More fave bits, please. My last fave bit is I've totally been, now I've, I've bought into it before, but the Wim Hof uh, method, breathing method is really a nice habit that I've gotten into. Um, and it's how you can control your breathing and the effects that that has on your whole life. And obviously he's what more, most well known for his getting in the sea of ice variety. Um, <laughs> but I, I didn't for a long time watch the Goop series of all their alternative things to do. And I was like, oh God, get Goop, like the biggest get in the sea. And then I watched it and I was just like, I've either done all of these things or I, I'm about to. So I was like, I'm a gooper. I'm absolutely scarlet for my life. But the episode with him is so good. Um, and I've really found that the breathing uh, techniques he does, and he has it on his app that you ju- he go, you can do it with him on your app. And it's ha- building you up to being able to hold your breath for a long period of time, which controls all the oxygen and carbon dioxide. But also it really is all about controlling your mind. So I think it's a very useful thing for us to be getting into right now. And he's just brilliant. Excellent. What can we do virtually this week? Absolutely loads to do this week. Thank the Lord. Um, Tonight, if this goes out on Thursday... If it doesn't, you've missed it. But if it does, the Queen of Captivity with Davina and Victoria, and they're doing an online drag pageant. It's at 9 p.m. Amazing. Yeah, very excited. They've got, I think... Where can, where can you watch that? If you go to draggedup.net, you have to buy tickets. They're 10 euro and they will then send you a link. Um, so A, I like the that you buy tickets because you're supporting your local drag queens. And also it's the, the baby drags are getting the opportunity because they're going to win the opportunity to perform at Davina's show when we're all allowed back out, which is something we are very much focused on in my mind. Um, another thing is catch events are doing a weekly quarantinis cocktail club. And what that involves is you can buy a package on their website. You can go to their Instagram catch events and they give you all the ingredients to make cocktails. And they do a class where they teach you how to masterclass in cocktail making. And then it's followed by a DJ mix. So you're basically, it's on a Friday night um, and you, it's creating a Friday night vibe. So you're, ha- it's like you're going out with loads of different people while having your four cocktails. It's I did it last week and it's really fun. Um, there is yin yoga every Tuesday. Darren Candy on his Instagram does it live with Jen from Yoga Hub Tuesday at 8 p.m. So you just have to pop onto his Instagram and it's there. It's lovely. If you have ever done yin yoga, it's very, there's not very much movement in it. It's about allowing your body to fully relax and to like take the trauma out of your body, which I think we could all do it right now. On Sunday at half seven, Nyler Nine is doing a big music quiz. So if you go to his Instagram or the blog, the Nyler Nine uh, site, you can find out how to do it. It's on YouTube, so there'll be a link there. Um, Jigzen is an Irish app that is free right now. So if you like jigsaws, um, if you get Jigzen for free, you can do as many jigsaws as you'd like. I know you are a big jigsaw fan, Una. I am, yeah. Still struggling with my weird 80s ocean underwater scene at the moment. 
you weren't into the white jigsaw I sent you either. Just plain no, white. <laughs> you see, I, I don't like when jigsaws are all the one colour, which is why I kind of fucked up getting this one because there's so much C in it. Um, and I don't want to get in the C jigsaw wise. And also one of my big jigsaw pet hates, I'd say it's my top 20 in my top 20 jigsaw pet hates, is when the pieces are too uniform. So I feel like the one that you suggested I buy, which was an all white uh, jigsaw with all of the same type of piece was not really my jam but I have kept you busy for so long I appreciate that you're sending me jigsaw content thank you <laughs> um this is something you can't do but uh the scratch which we were talking about earlier unfortunately cancelled their streamed gig this Friday which I'm very sad about but they are being responsible and staying at home and it just wouldn't work so unfortunately we'll have to wait till we can see them at another time Um, but what you can do is order seeds to plant so you can watch life continuing on while your life might be slightly halted right now which is weirdly I, I earlier this morning I just pulled out a uh, couple of old packets of wildflower seeds from my drawer that I'd bought pre-plague and uh, definitely going to plant them they're from Bee Urban in Stony Batter I love Bee Urban because it had one of the most Stony Batter signs ever for about a couple of years it must have been on the front of its shop this big banner that just said equality for all pollinators which is <laughs> just, just peak Dublin uh <laughs> vibes anyway go on I'm going to I don't know where really to order seeds and I really want to so if anyone's any ideas if they could hook me up that would be fab uh, and two last things Dolly Parton the Queen is doing Good Night with Dolly readings which will be streamed on Dolly Parton's Imagination Library on YouTube and elsewhere starting on Thursday at 7pm ET and the first book in the series is The Little Engine That Could by Wattie Piper Um. Which, like, who doesn't want to, like, listen to Dolly Parton reading a book? I know I do. Um, she does such amazing work for with, like, books for kids in the States, like, hundreds of thousands of free books that she sends to schools and libraries and stuff. She's oh, awesome. the Imagination Library is one of the best, wonderful projects I've seen. It's so lovely. Mm. Um, but closer to home, Irish libraries and publishers and writers have agreed to organise a series of virtual story times uh, while libraries are closed during the COVID-19 crisis. So the um, publishers and writers have waived their, what's it called? Fees? Yeah, essentially, um, to allow libraries to read their books out um, virtually so that there will be loads of story time. So check in with your local library because they have been, the local libraries have been really uh, focused on what they can do virtually. So you should always look at your library in general, but right now they are really ramping it up. So that's great. Real good on them. So what is the deal by now, Andrea? Tell us the deal. Before we go, these are the things we need to remember. We need to keep our distance Keep washing your hands as all the other bits have been added in. Make sure you don't forget to keep doing the regular stuff of washing your hands all the time, keeping your sneeze contained, keep yourself at home as much as you can and keep a mask on whenever you go out. Keep on keeping on is what I say. Excellent advice. And uh, this week's pick me up the tuna chicken roll. Hit me. This week's tuna chicken roll is I am really, really, really missing and craving a night out dancing. That's bizarre. I hear you say it's not like you, Andrea. (laughs) Um, So this week's 
tuna chicken roll is an ode to one of my favorite places in the world and yours. Um, mm-hmm. It is FCL and it's called It's You, which is Sans Soda's Panorama Bar version. It's an absolute tuna. And whenever I'm in a bad mood or craving a session, I can't go out. I put this song on, dance around like a lunatic and it kind of makes things feel a bit better. Love that's it. That's all we can ask for right now, really. Uh- yeah, love it. Well, it's so great to hear your voice. Obviously, we talk to each other all the time anyway, but in a podcast setting, I miss you loads. I miss everyone. Um, stay safe, stay healthy and strong. Uh, if anybody is experiencing illness right now or a family member or a friend, um, we're thinking of all of you. We're all thinking of each other and everybody stay healthy. And I know it's a difficult time for a lot of people. So, um I'm still lighting my candle in the window every evening and that's to send all of the good vibes out. So we love you all. And I've been Una. I've been Andrea. And this has been United Ireland. United Ireland. Yes, we got it. (laughs) I don't think we did. We did, we did. (laughs) Sure. Chat next week. Bye. I feel the heat. I feel the heat. I feel the heat. I feel the heat. Heat. I feel the heat. Heat. I feel the heat. Heat. I feel the heat You see the road I want to follow It takes a turn, it's hard to follow I want your touch, I want your body I feel the heat Ooh, heat I feel the heat